0: All right, we're um, starting a new series today entitled "Overcoming Principalities." Amen. Overcoming principalities comes from Ephesians chapter six, verses ten through eighteen. And one of the things that we'll see in this passage of scripture is that principalities is one of the things mentioned, but. What are those principalities, amen? A lot of times we read stuff in the Word, but we don't take the time to break it down and see what it's really talking about. So this series is actually breaking those things down. And similar to other topics that you may see in the Bible, I have a list of 13 principalities. You know, somebody else might say there's 10. Another place might say there's 20. So these are the ones I came across in my research, but I'm not going to say this is the only list that is relevant or accurate, amen? Amen. So anyway, we'll proceed with that. So anyway, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, it says, Finally, my, brethren, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against the world's rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take to yourselves the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Therefore, stand, having your loins girded about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all. Take the shield of faith with which you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching to this very thing with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you once again for the opportunity to partake of your word, and we just give you the glory, honor, and praise for everything that you will speak into our hearts, our minds, and our spirits in regard to principalities. Most of all, how to overcome the principalities that are upon this world system. And right now, Father, we thank you, Lord, that not only would you enable us to absorb everything that you will provide us through your word, but also, Fathers, we interact with people, some who are influenced by these principalities, and in other cases, people who are captive to these principalities. Show us, Father, how to interact with them, show the love of Christ, and be able to impart and impact their lives, Father, in such a way to break down these strongholds and principalities in their lives. We give you the praise, honor, and glory, Father, that we will also begin to perceive things differently, Lord, that we would not see things according to the flesh, but according to your spirit. And Father, as we would engage the enemy, we would do it according to your word and by the spirit of God to walk in victory. And we give you the praise, honor, and glory for these things. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, it says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That's one of the first things we see here. And from time to time, people come into contact with uh, people of different mindsets, people of different nationalities, cultures, races. And there may be times where you may not necessarily see eye to eye. Quite frankly, there's times where you cross paths with people and for some reason, whatever it is behind the surface, you just don't click. Amen. But one of the things we have to realize as saints of God that there may be times where we're engaged in various types of warfare, and there may be even seasons in which we seem to be falling under a pattern of of certain types of attacks, or you see it in the life of one person, you go somewhere else and you see a pattern of those things manifesting there. But behind the scenes, even though these things may affect us, from an emotional or a fleshly perspective, we have to realize that it isn't necessarily about us or even if it's something that is targeting us specifically, that doesn't mean that we have to get caught up with it from a fleshly perspective and react and counterattack and do things that are contrary to the Word of God. Instead, we should realize that these are some of the devices of the enemy, amen, to destroy our reputation, to hinder our ability to witness, to cripple our ability to walk in the abundant life that Jesus Christ has intended for each one of us. So in other words, instead of us just walking into encounter after encounter, incident after incident, and getting traumatized or jarred or angered or hurt or whatever it may be, we need to be more prayerful and more mindful, according to the Spirit of God, of the types of things that occur. And instead of reacting immediately by the flesh, we need to take a step back, Take a deep breath if necessary and ask God, what are the things in operation here and how do I address them? Amen. Hallelujah. We spend too much time. As we see here, God tells us not to be strong in your attitude, not to be strong in your flesh, but to be strong in him and in the power of his might. And then he gives each one of us a requirement, put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you may be able to stand against the wilds, of the devil there's going to be wiles of the devil that are coming your way and if you think you could fight them on your own or if you think you could put on part of the armor and leave the other parts off you got another thing coming as they say amen let's look at this during medieval times uh, people will put on suits of armor or they will put on a breastplate a helmet Um, but somebody who was a savvy opponent would fight them in such a manner that they would try to get them off balance, look for an opening, and that would be the very place that they would strike. So if your armor covered your chest and your abdomen, but it was open on the sides, the person would try to engage you, and they would come in from the front possibly, amen? And then they would try to get you off balance, and then they would stab you right through to the side. Same way in spiritual warfare. The enemy is going to come at you. Sometimes he's going to come on head first look you right in the eye other times he's going to come in from the back and try to stab you you know in a place where you're not observant or unawares falling asleep on the job then there's times where he will engage you from the front but he may send something in from another angle he might hit you from the peripheral vision or he might hit you on one side while he's setting you up for the kill on the other side You can't sit there and fight according to your flesh. A lot of times the enemy would throw things your way to focus your attention one place when he's literally trying to sneak around the backside and and tear you up, you know, unawares, amen? So we gotta fight according to the spirit of God and as we see here, we have to put on the whole armor of God. It talks about the helmet of salvation, to guard your mind, your thought life. It talks about the breastplate of righteousness, How are you going to expect God to completely fortify you and keep you strong and walking in victory if you're not walking a righteous lifestyle? Amen. It tells us to gird up our loins with truth. If you're walking around in deception and lies and manipulations, how you expect God to keep you standing upright and walking on a street called straight when you're speaking with a forked tongue? Amen. So there's a responsibility each one of us has. We can't say, oh, God, how did I succumb to this attack? Why did you let this occur if we aren't doing our part? So God tells us not only to put on the armor, but he says put on the whole armor. And here's the thing. You can't just put on the whole armor of God one day and then the next day say, man, that takes too much time. I'm just going to walk out today. Well, if you get... (laughs) You get nuked (laughs) that day. Whose fault is it? It's not God's fault. We are required to put on the whole armor of God every single day of our lives. And we might think this sounds extreme. But if you're in the military, it would be, you know, just common practice. Matter of fact, that you had to put on your uniform the right way, put it on in the right amount of time, and you better be ready When a time occurs where either you receive a command from your commanding officer or the enemy attacks you, you better be fully clothed, armed to the hilt, and ready to go. You know, so the military has this thing in order, at least from that perspective. But we as Christians, we expect to, first of all, get up late, get up clueless. Walk out any other, any other way we want, just meandering around like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing today. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what the enemy's doing. I don't know what I'm doing. we got to have a battle plan. We have to be mindful. Amen? And we have to get up strapping ourselves for battle on a daily basis so that we can engage the enemy and come out on the winning side. Amen? I think sometimes we settle for losing. <laughs> Said so again, I think sometimes we settle for losing. We're so accustomed to being the underdog, so accustomed to being the punching bag or the walking welcome back that we just walk out and Lord, whatever happens today, oh, just let it be. Ah, God said you're supposed to be warriors for the kingdom. Amen? Put your gear on, throw on your armor, grab your weapons, strap yourself up, and go out in that world and win. Because, see, you're not just fighting for yourself. You're fighting for all the people that God has placed in your circle of interactions to also impact their lives on a godly basis. Amen? So the battle is not just about you. It's about those who you're called to witness to, those who you're supposed to help protect, those who are desperate and dying and throwing in the towel that God wants to dispatch you To be the mercenary, if we want to call it, the mercenary that comes in, grabs them out from the hands and the jaws of death, and brings them back into a place where they have hope and peace and, if more than anything else, salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen? we got to be fully armed. It tells us here that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I think a lot of times that's what we focus on because that's where we feel it. You know, we are physical beings, in a physical world, and we are affected by our five senses and the things that come at us in a daily basis. People speak things. People do things. People have body language. People cut us off as we drive. People give you the hairy eye when you sit down on a the train. There's all kinds of stuff going on all the time. And even if we're not focused on it, our minds and the things that come in our eyes and ear gates are so influential sometimes that we subconsciously take on things that don't realize that we're engaged in battle so God tells us that we're wrestling all the time and my question actually my statement today is if you're going around on a daily basis and don't realize that you're wrestling against the powers of darkness you're probably losing already matter of fact you're probably pinned on the mat and you should be tapping out if we were going mma for a Christian to say, oh, I, I just go around every day and nothing bad happens. I don't have no struggles, nothing I'm, a, I'm contending in. Are you really safe? Because if you're a child of God, you got a target in your back by this world system. You should be going through something. I'm not saying you should be walking around beat up, bruised, Murmuring, complaining, and whining, but there should be different situations that you're facing on a daily basis. Even if you're living in spirit and truth, no sin in your life. Amen. There should be certain things that you're engaging with in terms of the enemy. Amen. If not in your life, in the lives of people that are surrounding you. Amen. Hallelujah. So he tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Against principalities. (laughs) against powers, against the world rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. As I said, we're focusing on principalities in this um, series. Now, the word principalities in the underlying Greek means chief in order. Chief in order, time, place, or rank. Chief in order, time, place, or or rank, principality. So by that, just basically saying that as we look at the world system, there's different layers in God's governmental structure, amen? (laughs) You know, you have the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and then we see the, the three archangels, Michael and Gabriel and that dummy, Lucifer, who thought he was going to win and got cast down to the earth who is now the prince of the power of darkness. Amen? And those principalities are certain things that you'll see that you have to gauge in in battle that are universal to this world system. Amen? And as we see, the things that we're going to talk about in these series are not things that are just pertinent to people in New Jersey, people in the United States, people of a certain race or religion background or whatever. These principalities are universal um, spirits and strongmen that no matter where you are in the world, these things are in operation. Amen? So this series covers things that we deal with here, but somebody over in Africa or China, wherever they may be, will find that even though they might call them by another name in their language It's still the same underlying spirits that are at work. Amen. Now, you have to realize that these principalities, they will try to entice you to yield to their influence. Uh, Some cases, if they can't entice you, they'll try to intimidate or control you either by speaking into your mind based upon experiences that you encounter or using people that you interact with. It could be family members. It could be friends. It could be people at work. It could be total strangers that are under the inspiration of those spirits. These things are going to come at you all the time, and if anything, on a daily basis, amen? That's not something for us to be fearful of, but we have to be fully aware that these principalities are in operation all the time. They're not laying down on the job. And we as Christians could choose that I want to fall asleep on the job, I don't want to walk in the likeness of Christ today. I don't want to exhibit the character of Christ or obey his word today. But you need to realize that these things are in operation all the time. And if you're not armed with the full armor of God, if you're not being led by the Holy Spirit, and if you're not living and walking and speaking and perceiving things according to the word of God, there's a good opportunity for these things to either attach themselves to you, influence you, or defeat you in some area of your life. Amen? you got to be aware of that. So these things are spirits that are in operation all the time. And here's the thing. As we see here, you cannot combat them according to flesh and blood. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care what your stature is. I don't care what your attitude is or how smart you are. You don't have the power to overcome these things. If we look back through history, there's a lot of people that thought, you know, they may have been in control of the very principality that they were operating under, and then they saw that it led to their demise or their embarrassment or their imprisonment. Amen? Hallelujah. So w- we're going to start looking at those. Um, actually, Kelly, can you go to the next slide? Um, kind of. That was the one. Yeah. Uh, so, actually, you see this 13. <laughs> and this chart is at the top it has death um I can get this print I can give this to people if y'all want this later but it kind of shows you 13 different ones and the funny thing is that I came across 13 principalities there's a lot of people who are superstitious about the number 13. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe there's a reason why the superstitious now we shouldn't be superstitious of course But it shows you that there's a lot of things going on, and there may be some relevance or some truth to reality that people are troubled by the number 13, amen? 13 principalities coming after you and trying to undermine you or destroy you and ruin your life with God. So the first thing we're going to look at, actually in reverse order, because as you go up to number one, death, that is the chief one that tries to take out and snuff the life of mankind, amen? We're going to start in reverse order, and we're going to look at, disobedience amen disobedience and what does the principality of disobedience do it tries to get man to disobey God amen it's funny in this day and age a lot of people think you know just like the old song by Frank Sinatra is I did it my way you could do it your way (laughs) you could hit the highway (laughs) You can do it your way, and you can find that the end of your road is the hell way. Amen? You can talk about me, myself, and I, and it's all about me. But what's that got to do with the Spirit of God and what God is dictating in your life? Amen? See, the spirit of disobedience tells you that it's okay for me to do whatever I want. And I'm not going to submit myself to authority. I don't have to listen to what the person in charge of me or God himself is telling me what to do. I got my plan, I got my agenda, and I'm going to go out and do what I want or get what I want despite what you're saying. Matter of fact, despite the fact that it might even be good for me, I'm going to do what I want. I'm disobedient. Amen. One of the things I like, Apostle Lesser says, he said you got a, um, a, a, sin ruling, a self-ruling spirit. Self-ruling spirit. Everybody should be subjected to somebody. If you're not subjected to a man, you need to be subjected to God. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, here's a quote about disobedience. And um, it's by a man named um, Ezra Taft Benson, who was an American farmer, religious leader. And at the time of the Eisenhower administration, he was the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture. And like I said, he was a religious leader as well. What he said about disobedience is, Disobedience is essentially a prideful power struggle against someone in authority over us. It could be a parent, a priesthood leader, a teacher, or ultimately God. A proud person hates the fact that someone is above him. He thinks this lowers his position. Look at that. I want to be on the throne. And if I yield myself to your instruction or your authority, that makes me less as an individual. Amen? I've seen a lot of people over the years that think it's my way or the highway. My way is right. I don't have to listen to you or you can't tell me what to do. And one of the common threads I've seen is that those people hit some kind of roadblock they can't get around or they box themselves into some kind of corner that they can't get out of. And the tragic thing is that the very people that they saw as a hindrance to their life, oh, I, you, I'm so sick of you telling me what to do. When they get to the end of themselves, they usually say, man, wish I had listened. Amen? <laughs> see, see di- disobedience starts off with telling you that I am right or I have the right. Or well, once again, nobody tells me what I need to do or ought to do or have to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. Amen. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And it talks about disobedience. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now we see here, thank God, when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it tells us here that we are quickened, and this is a process that is done by the Holy Spirit. As we see, we we're originally dead in trespasses and sins, and it also talks about, by our very nature, it doesn't matter how wholesome you seem to be as a human being. By nature, we're sinful. We're disobedient. You know, We're, we're full of sin and, quite frankly. As good as we may be in comparison to God, we're evil by nature. It's just an aspect of being associated with the sin nature that came down through Adam all the way down to us in this day and age. We're by nature. We are children of disobedience. In other words, you want to disobey. And that's quite evident from birth. You could even see it in a a newborn baby or once they get a, a couple months old that baby (laughs) can't walk, can't feed his or herself, can't change their diaper, but yet that baby will try to run the house. I'm just going to keep crying until I get picked up. And there's times where you got to pick the baby up. I understand that. I had two of them. Amen. Nikki had more than us all. (laughs) There's times where the baby will cry, and you need to respond to that call. But then there's times like, okay, baby, you got to take a nap. You're cranky. You need to take a nap. And that baby could cry and cry and cry and basically demand that you're going to give me what I want. You're going to pick me up. You're going to do this or that. Uh, if they're a toddler. I want that toy, and I don't care what you say. I want that toy now. Uh, a lot of us have had the experience with kids that I'm going to touch that stove. You tell them no, and they keep trying to sneak over that Spirit of disobedience. I want to do what I do. And here's the thing. The child will be telling the parent, don't touch the stove. You're going to burn your little finger. And I'm telling you, (laughs) as soon as you turn your head, that baby's heading right for that very thing you told them not to do. And here's the thing. They don't understand why. They don't realize that there's some heat and some pain awaiting them if they disobey you. But they just got to do it. And it becomes the center of their life until they touch that thing and then realize, ow. Mommy mommy and daddy were right. It's the same thing with us sometimes. Certain desires, as we see here, lusts of our flesh that we want to fulfill. And God, the Holy Spirit, in that still small voice, the Word of God itself will tell you don't do that. And sometimes it's the very things that have been repeated to us over and over again through the Word, through, through Bible studies and sermons, through friends that are godly that love you, try to warn you away from something. And we obsess over these things. Got to have it, got to have it, got to have it. Then sometimes we get it and we're like, oh, Lord, what I do myself? That spirit of disobedience. I got to get mine. I have the right I need to have this or that and unfortunately we get it and we like oh I didn't know all that came with it all the baggage all the weight all the pain all the discouragement all the betrayals all the backstabbing all the hurts I didn't realize that all that stuff was a prize at the end of my disobedience rainbow amen says the thing disobedience lies to you it tells you that I got to get what I want at all costs, and when I get there, I will be satisfied. You find a lot of times that even if you walk out in disobedience and get what you desire, either you see that it's not what you expected, and it falls short of your expectations, and you even look back and, like, all the compromises and messes I did, and this is what I got for it? But then even if you get to the thing that was the target of your disobedience and you attain it, a lot of times you're still not satisfied. It's like on to the next one. Amen? And you don't realize it's just a series of pit stops that are taking you further and further and further away from the destination that God had for you on the path of obedience. That's a sad thing. Sometimes people literally do get the desires of their heart and the fruit of their disobedience. And unfortunately, they realize I have a lot of consequences, a lot of baggage, and a long path to getting myself on the right path with God again. That's so sad. You see, God loves you enough that he can get you on the right path, but there might be times where You know, the same amount of time, unfortunately, that you may have been on the road to disobedience. I'm not saying, for instance, that if you were in disobedience to God for five years, it takes you five years to get back. But I'm telling you, sometimes God will supernaturally say, bam, you're restored. Then other times, it could be five years back. It might be one year back. It could be ten years of, you know, of restoration. God does not promise us that (laughs) he's going to give us a microwave restoration now he will restore his relationship with you i love you child of god come in to your abba father You still might have to bear some of the weight of the disobedience amen and actually if you think about it that's what a loving parent will do you know some of the greatest lessons i learned were through my mistakes amen Some of the things that have made me stronger were the things that hurt me the most. And I'm not talking always disobedience and sin, but sometimes you got to go through some struggles to appreciate who God is and what he's taking you from. Amen? And if you got there to that destination through disobedience, if God automatically restores you back to where you were prior to the disobedience, what will you learn? I mean, if anything, you might say, well, shoot. I can just go out and try my luck again because as soon as I repent, I'm restored. So sometimes you got to come back through that, those incidents and those situations and those decisions gradually, God bless you, to get back to full restoration. So as we see here, God by his spirit quickens each one of us supernaturally. He gives us witty ideas. He gives us wisdom from above. He gives us strength. And power to walk in victory on a daily basis. And we have to realize that, as it says here, in time past we walked according to the course of this world. That means that your mentality, your perceptions, your desires were all tied into the world system and the way it thinks and the desires it has. And we see here that in addition to us having those fleshly desires, it says that there's a prince of the power of the air. Satan himself and his spirits that are trying to entice us and influence us not to get away from the things of the world, but to go further and further in our lusts and our pursuit of those things. A lot of us don't even think about that on a daily basis, that, you know, walking in obedience to God not only keeps you in the straight and narrow, but it keeps your mind clear as to what he has for you. You perceive things correctly. You're not walking around in a fog, confused and deceive. But if you get on the road to disobedience, amen, now you're basically saying, God, I refuse. I'm stopping up my ears to you and your word and your spirit. And now Satan, who's been trying to tice me, yes, go get that. Go do that. Now you're opening up your ears full tilt. Yeah, buddy, let's go. What do you want me to do? I should think what? I should... Seek what? <laughs> what did that road do for for Adam? <laughs> you shall not surely die if you touch that thing. Oh, and God's being selfish to you. If you partake of that, you shall be as, as God's. See, he's telling you not to partake of that because he don't want you to be a God. See, the enemy will keep whispering in your ears trying to entice you to pursue, instead of focusing on the million things that God says you can have, the enemy will whisper in your ear and tell you to focus on the one trinket that God says that's not for you. And pre, if, not, if not 100% of the time, 99% of the time, the very thing God says is not for you, amen, is something that's a hindrance to your life. But yet, the enemy will be whispering, whispering in your ear. He'll send people that will entice you or intimidate intimidate you, try to push you and nudge you in the direction of the path of disobedience. Amen? Isn't it funny how if there's something that's enticing you, it seems that things around you kind of speak to that thing? (laughs) Like, man. It's almost like you ever do a search on Google Um, I remember I was looking for, you know, a tablet, and I did a search on Google, looked at a couple tablets, and I went on Best Buy and a couple sites, and then I found, here I am months after I bought the tablet, I still have tablet ads coming up, because they have what's called a a, a tracking cookie that they, they put, they use your browser to drop it on your computer, and then as you go sites after site after site, months later, it's still... It's still tracking you, but here's the thing. It's still enticing you, you know, to make a purchase. Now, I'm after the purchase, so I'm absolutely not going to buy a tablet now or I bought one. But when I was in the cycle of still shopping and, hmm, should I buy this or should I buy that? What features do I want? I'm just doing all kinds of stuff on the web, and I go up to Facebook. There goes the tablet ad. I go to NBA.com. It's tablet ad. CNN.com. Tablet ad. It's trying to entice me to buy a tablet. It sees the same thing in terms of disobedience and the spirits that try to impel you to do their bidding and to operate in your flesh. See, God's word and his spirit will say, Don't do that. The enemy will say, Come on, let's go. Ra rah, let's go and do what you desire. So that's prince of the power of the air will keep speaking to you and speaking to you and try to make you align yourself with the very nature of disobedience that we had prior to our conversion in Jesus Christ. So that's the case. We need to be mindful of that. We need to realize that, once again, we are in a war on a daily basis. And here's the thing. Sin is very personal. The things that pull on, entice me, are different than the things that affect you. So you can't look at it and say, okay, well, I don't have no problem with, with lust. Why is that person struggling with lust? What's the big deal? Oh, but you like gossiping. <laughs> and let the first rumor hit your ears. And that thing is like, oh God, I gotta spread it. I gotta spread it. Each one of us has our personal things, and we can sit here and pretend like, oh, I ain't got no, I've been in the Lord 20 years, and I don't have no vices, no fleshly earth. Are you lying. Certain things are going to be at your flesh until the day you die, and that doesn't mean that God doesn't have the power to enable you to overcome it permanently. There's certain things I did prior to salvation. They have no power over me whatsoever. I could drink like a cell. I I'd drink y'all all under this table. Liquor has no power whatsoever in my life. None. You can throw every kind of fancy drink, throw an umbrella on it. (laughs) Ice, no ice. Make it pretty color. No pull whatsoever. When I was college, okay, I take two of them. Oh, shoot, yeah. Well, that doesn't even look good. I'm trying to get drunk. (laughs) But now it has no power over my life whatsoever. Amen? But then there's other areas where... Okay, I got to pray about that one. Or I got to keep my guard up, you know. <laughs> I've always been intelligent. Intelligent people often are sarcastic. They got smart mouths. So I got to be watchful that I don't get smart with people. Or I don't speak down to people because I can read and absorb any kind of information. So it would be very easy if somebody brings up an issue of debate, I could rip them up and, like, do it in such a way to make them feel stupid. So for me, I had to be watchful of that. And I work on it, and I believe it, I got a lot better with it. Especially, you go on Facebook—the stuff people post. Sometimes, I'm like, oh Lord, don't let me type you. nothing. <laughs> You're stupid. But I was like, nope, kid, nope, hey, type nothing. <laughs> but there's certain things that each one of us—and that's not a big struggle for me—but it is something in my flesh. My flesh likes to get smart with people. It is what it is. Until the day I die, I might be on my deathbed. <laughs> and either that or cracking a joke. <laughs> so, certain traits we have. So, one person could be, you know, being sarcastic. Another person could be lying. Another person could be lust. Another person, greed. Another person, ego. Each one of us has different things that the Spirit, the Prince of the Power of the Air, tries to speak to and pull on us to make us walk in disobedience. So, the best way for us to Overcome these things once again, as even as Nikki said um, earlier during praise and worship, is to worship God and pray and to study to show ourselves approved, and especially in the areas in which you're weak. If you feel there's an area that is pulling you to be disobedient from God, I mean, disobedient to God, you need to target that thing in the word and in prayer and say, I got to keep a tight watch and a short leash on that area of my life. That doesn't mean that you relax everywhere else, but it means on especially the areas you struggle in, those you got to be like, "Uh ah. It's almost like you walking a dog down the street. You first, you got a big dog and, you know, he got a little, you know, tendencies to be a little mean if he doesn't know total strangers. Well, you shouldn't be walking with that dog on a 50-foot leash. Because by the time you can pull him back, he done bit three people. You got to pull that dog close. Uh -uh, I got to keep a tight grip on you. I let you loose, you might tear something up. Now, once he gets trained, you can give a little more slack. Same thing with sins in our lives. If you notice something you struggle with, you got to keep that thing on a short leash. Uh-uh. Nope. I ain't relaxing on you. You going to stay right here under the subjection of God's word and his spirit. I'm not cutting you no slack. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Genesis 10, 7 through 12. Going to see somebody else who was noted for disobedience. Genesis ten, seven through twelve, and the sons of Cush, Seba, and Havila, and Sabta, and Rama, and S- Saptaka, yikes, and the sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dadan, and Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, wherefore it is said even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Calneh, in the land of Shinar. Out of that land went forth ashore and built it Nineveh, and the city of Rehoboth, and Kala, and Reason between Nineveh and Kala. the same is a great city. Now Nimrod. Um, A lot of people, if you've ever studied it, it says that he was one of the giants. Like before Goliath, he was a mighty one, but he was not only a mighty one in terms of being able to hunt game, but he was mighty in terms of stature. He was a giant. And, you know, some of the studies said his name means we shall rebel. So he was not only somebody who was mighty in stature and very intimidating, but he had, you know, he not only prayed game, but he also preyed upon people. We see here that this man was very impressive. He not only was a mighty hunter, but he was able to get people under his control to build various cities, including we see that Nineveh was spawned out of, I won't call his ministry, out of his exploits. Amen? (laughs) Nineveh. And you also see in the Word of God that he is the one who had the Tower of Babel built. Wow. So this guy had a lot of things that he initiated. Matter of fact, if you look at Babel itself, the underlying Hebrew word for Babel is confusion. So this guy was a mighty one, a hunter, a self-seeking man, a guy that intimidated and controlled people. But we see that he was also a man that birthed confusion. And see, that's what disobedience does a lot of time. And, and, And sometimes you say, well, I got the right to do me. I got to be true to myself. I got to walk in. Here's a good one they like nowadays. I got I to gotta live according to my truth. Get out of here. Your truth. <laughs> it's funny how people have <laughs> their truth. <laughs> I talked to this um, bishop one time. He's a um, doctor in philosophy, travels around the world speaking to various People and organizations had spoken to premiers and kings and presidents and things like that. And he said one time he was at this think tank and this person was talking about everybody has their own truth and to them it's right and therefore it is true. And he's like, You know, that's ridiculous. He was arguing on the other side. I like, know there's certain standards and guidelines that people have to live by. I know everybody's got to live by their own truth. So he said, Okay, well, according to my truth, I could take a gum right now and blow your brains out. And my truth is okay. Well, you can't do that. You just said we can all operate according to our truth. And truth is relative. In my world, if that's good, how are you going to change it all of a sudden? So, so truth, everybody can say I have a truth that is relevant, but quite frankly, all roads to truth lead back to God, who is the author of what is true. And he sets the standards. So um, we see here that Nimrod was a mighty hunter, and in terms of his exploits, he desired to prey upon, manipulate, and control people and make them do his bidding, and in the desire of his heart, he said that I want to elevate myself to be above God. So therefore, I'm not going to just sit down here and look up in the sky at him. I'm going to build a tower that puts me up at his level. Get the building. So they start building the, the, the tower and... As we know, they were literally, that's imagine, it's unthinkable. I mean, it's just like, just fathoming that, first of all, (laughs) even this day and age, the the tallest towers like in Dubai were shorter than this Tower of Babel because they said they literally were building this thing and they were accomplishing it to the point that God looked at them and said, whoa, these people are unified. They think as one and they will be successful. So God said, you know, I'm going to have to confuse the language. And when he did... That's when everybody, were, they were talking to each other one day, and they were all communicating, and the next, like, one person's talking, huh? What are you talking about? So then they scattered. Amen? So unfortunately, Nimrod, walking in disobedience and trying to elevate himself above God, we see that the real fruit of what he did was producing confusion, not only in his own life, but also in the lives of other people. And unfortunately, that is an undesirable form of baggage that often occurs when we choose to walk in disobedience. God has given us, according to his word, the ministry of reconciliation armed with the word of reconciliation. When we choose to walk in disobedience... Outside of the Word of God and the, and the Spirit and not according to the Spirit of God, we are actually now walking under a spirit contrary to God. So therefore, instead of us spreading the goodness of God and the influence of God, we could be actually helping the enemy spreading his nonsense around. Amen. See, so you're operating under something. <laughs> you just got to choose what spirit you're going to operate under: the Spirit of Truth or the Spirit of error. And Jesus made that clear. You can't have two masters, and you can't say you love God and you have the character of Christ inside of you, but yet venom and and impure things are flowing out of you. Jesus said, hey, make the tree good. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) If you want to see good fruit. But you can't be, you know, saying all this beautiful, wondrous stuff, but on the inside, you're ravening wolves. You got to challenge yourself. You got to pick yourself apart. You got to analyze yourself according to the Word of God. And if there's something in you that is contrary of walking in obedience to God, call it what it is. It's either obedience or it's disobedience. It's that easy. I think sometimes we try to bend the rules and make excuses and justify things. Either you're walking in obedience to God or you're not. Period. God ain't got time for all your gray areas. You might try to deceive yourself, but God's not falling for that. So we got to call it what it is. And like I said, as we see here with Nimrod, when you choose to walk with a spirit of disobedience and try to elevate yourself above God, and you might even say in your own life, Well, I'm not trying to elevate your, myself above God. Well, are you listening to what He told you to do? And are you doing it? Well, if you're not doing what God said, for you to do then obviously you must think your opinion and your way is greater than his <laughs> once again who's on the throne of the kingdom of your heart mind and spirit who's on the throne and if you're not doing what god told you to do then you've elevated yourself your attitude your fleshly desires or whatever thing is enticing you above god in authority and you need to reverse that and put it back under subjection to the spirit of god and the word of god so disobedience breeds confusion, even though you may think it appears. And that's the thing. Nimrod, in his disobedience, was initially successful. He built a lot of cities. Well, his britches got too big, and he tried to elevate himself above God. And see, that's the thing. You can start out on the initial road of disobedience. And it seems that everything's working good. Oh, look, we built this city, built that city. Wow, things are going great. But that heart and mind attitude don't change. The end result is that confusion came out of it. Now let's go to Nahum chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Nahum chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 says The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkoshite. God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth, and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemy. For the Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry, and dryeth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth, and Carmel And the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him, and the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like a fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. But with an ever-running flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof, and darkness shall pursue his enemies. as we saw, Nimrod, in his disobedience, was founding all these various cities and the tower of Babel itself. And we see here that God is extremely long-suffering. He watched him doing these things. Amen? And he's merciful. We see here that he's long-suffering, slow to anger. That means he's merciful to those who are walking in, in in disobedience. He will continue to give you time after time after time to turn your heart around, repent, and get it right. But then we see that God also is not one to be played with. <laughs> we see the fierceness and the power, the majesty of the Lord. You imagine it says that the clouds. You know, just I've been in a plane and looked. Either while we're in the midst of the clouds or above the clouds, look down upon the clouds like, man, how beautiful that is. So white and clean and pillowy, you know, (laughs) looks like cotton balls. It just looks beautiful, especially if it's a bright, sunny day. And that's dust to God's feet. Amen. (laughs) And we see here he's good, but it says that he's a God that no one can stand above before his indignation. When he gets to the place where he says, Okay, the time of mercy and long-suffering is over. you got to account for your ways. We see here that he will allow you to do things for a certain time and season. He's long-suffering. But he says when it gets to the place where he decides to deal with the disobedience and judge the sin, we see in verse 8 it says, with an overrunning flood he make an utter end. Of the place or the things thereof and it says darkness shall pursue his enemies funny thing is with sometimes people that are walking in, a diso- in disobedience before God and they know full well what they should be doing they just keep thinking like the grace of God the mercy of God the love of God and they keep going on and on I'll get it right later a month later I'll get it right later keep going on and on but we see here that in the midst of you disobeying God and going off on your own path, it says that darkness is following you. Amen? Cloudiness of vision, troubles and turmoils and different things. And you get to a place you're trying to see your way out. And, and a lot of times, God will give you the grace, but in the midst of all that, you take yourself darker and darker in the situations until it's a shame that you've got to cry out to the Lord in desperation to get enough light to get out of the mess that you trapped yourself in or weigh yourself down under. It'd be so much easier for us if we would just cry out to the Lord. And here's the thing, have, be mindful enough on a daily basis to self-evaluate and to pray and according to the word of God, examine ourselves and say, hey, is my heart and my mind right as it relates to this? You know, I had situations at work where people did or said something and I had to like catch myself because the first I remember one time somebody said something, I was like, I blew it off, but then later on it came back to my remembrance. I was like, uh-oh, I got to watch that. I said, that's the, that's the beginnings of the road of an attitude against that person. So I started monitoring it. I started praying for it. And Then I saw that person. I went the extra mile, you know. And I, ch- I addressed the situation in a, in, a, in a strong, not angry, but strong manner. Like, we ain't going to go there, and we're not going to talk like that. But then the person's uncomfortable. So knowing that I could have got the attitude and now you have like a target on your not it wouldn't even be a target on your back, it'd be a target on your front. Because I look you in the eye. <laughs> if I let the attitude get there in my flesh, I was like, ah, I can't go there. So I was like, I gotta pray and when I see this person go the extra mile to speak and be show myself friendly and stuff like that. And then next thing you know, the person's come to me, ask me for you know, advice over a uh, legal matter. But that would not have occurred if I had not realized, like, okay, that little thing that I initially blew off, oh, that wasn't a big deal. it's done. But then I felt I, it came back to my mind. I said, no, it ain't done. Because if I'm still running this thing around my head, then that flesh and the prince of the power of the air is like, who you think he is talking to me like that? Oh, I'm going to get him. I'm going to show him. See, that stuff opens up. And you got to be true to yourself and realize when those things are coming. Amen? And you got to decide, is it more important for me to walk in obedience to God or allow this stuff to build up and me act outside of the character of God? Amen? We got to self-evaluate. And that's the thing. Anybody observed the situation be like, oh, Brian, you handled it well. Only Brian knew, like, uh-uh, I got to pray. <laughs> <laughs> I got I to gotta pray and keep the word on this. And over the next couple of weeks, I got to aggressively go the extra mile so I could purge this disobedience that I felt could have rooted itself out of my mind and my heart. Amen. And today, we're totally fine. We see each other all day. Oh, man, what's up? How's the weekend? See, I had to do the work. Amen. A lot of times we go to somebody else. Oh, well, they did the wrong thing. They got to do the work or they got to get it right. No. You know better, you know the word, and you hear the spirit of God talking to you. You are the one that has to step up and do what God tells you to do. Amen? Because if he told them to get it right, then they should have been going an extra mile. But if they're not approaching you and God spoke to you, well, obviously you're the one that he wants to heed what he's spoken, walk in obedience, and do what he said. Amen? <laughs> and they could be just as wrong. 150% wrong. <laughs> they're so wrong they went past 100. And God said, no, you go apologize. You go do this. You go minister to them. You go buy them lunch. You go see how they're doing. And we like, why, God? Cause God's like, because I need to get you right. I just use this situation to let you see that you're not right. Now do my word. Obey what I said. And walk in obedience. <laughs> it Die to self. And walk according to my word and my spirit. That's how we're going to test your spiritual maturity and obedience today. See, we don't like those challenges. (laughs) Amen. So we see here, God is extremely long-suffering and merciful to those. And like I said, if you choose to rebel against God's will and what he's spoken to you, and there's certain things God will speak to you that only you are hearing certain personal issues and situations that he wants you to handle a certain way that only you may know by his spirit and by his word that you have to do. Amen. Hallelujah. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. (laughs) And that's one of our greatest tests of obedience and growth. It's a wonderful thing to get that test from God and pass it. Amen. Let's stay in the book of Nahum. We're going to look at um, Nahum 3.1. Woe to the bloody city. It is all full of lies and robbery. The prey depart if not. And then we're going to jump down to verses 5 through 7. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will discover thy skirts upon thy face, and I will show the nations thy nakedness and the kingdoms thy shame. And I will cast abominable filth upon thee and make thee vile and will set thee as a gazing stock. And it shall come to pass that all they that look upon thee shall flee from thee and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Whence shall I seek comforters for thee? So we see here, Nahum, you know, and Nineveh. It's basically like a city, the bloody city that came to ruin. If, if we remember how this started out, it was very successful. But it was founded under a spirit of confusion and disobedience by Nimrod. So it seemed to prosper God gave it plenty of chances. We know he sent Jonah there to get them to repent. They even repented, but then they went back to their ways. But finally, he got to the place where God said, ah, uh, the cup of iniquity is full. That's it. I'm going to reduce this city to a bloody ruin. But not only does he do that, but he says, not only am I going to reduce it to that, but I'm going to strip you naked, and all the kingdoms surrounding you will look upon you as shame. It used to be, you know, a great city. You know, just think of it. It was like a Paris or a Rome or something like that. He said, because of your sin, I reduce you to a place of shame. I've made your streets vile. I've made you naked and vile. And people are looking upon you. When it's talking about a gazing sight, a gazing stop, it's basically saying people are looking on you that used to admire you, and now they're shaking their head like, wow, how did that happen? How in the world did this place become that? Wow. So it may seem that things can prosper and out of disobedience they can rise up and be elevated. But if they are founded under the pillars of disobedience and no repentance come, the end result of disobedience and confusion is becoming a laughingstock, being brought to ruin. And all the years and time and energy and adoration comes down to nothing that is the end result of the spirit of disobedience and we see here there's no no comfort people are shaking their head and just like looking at you and, and, and here's the thing God says he would bring the things brought out of disobedience to shame do you realize that at the time that Nimrod was on the earth they saw him as the mighty hunter everybody was intimidated they did his bidding His name has now been reduced in two ways. Um, One of the legends is that the constellation Orion, you know, the archer, where you you look in the sky, you'll see the three stars. It's supposed to be Orion's belt, and it's symbolic. They basically, like, as an open show, this is a legend, which, of course, isn't true, but the Greeks thought that the legend was that God, as a sign of shame, cast him up in the heavens for an eternal display of one who's been shamed. Now, we know that's not true, but the fact is the association that his name has come down through the generations as one of shame. And here's another thing, too. If you look at slang nowadays, you ever hear somebody? You may not have heard it. It's not used too much now. But back in the day, people say, no, don't be a Nimrod. It means don't be an idiot. <laughs> he was a mighty hunter. Now his name associated with if somebody calls you a Nimrod, you're an idiot. Generations later. So his name is still known, but it was brought to nothing. So I think it's far better for us <laughs> to walk in obedience to the Spirit of God than to be a Nimrod. <laughs> Don't be a Nimrod. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So what can we do? If we've, what is the resolution? What is the remedy for the spirit of disobedience when we were born as children of wrath and children of disobedience. What is the remedy? Romans 5:17 through 21 shows us what Jesus Christ has done for us, amen, that we don't have to be subjected to the spirit of disobedience. And quite frankly, the only reason as a child of God you have to walk in disobedience is if you choose to walk in it. Because God has given us as we've seen his weapons of warfare and by his spirit, amen, he's given us the capability to those, overcome those things. The word of God tells us that with every temptation, God gives us a means of escape. But do you seek the means of escape or do you give in trying to pretend you gave, that you subjected to it when, quite frankly, full well, we go into the temptation? Amen? Romans 5, 17 through 21. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous." Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is, this is really wonderful. We see a couple things. First of all, one man basically jacked all of us up. That going, you Adam? Sometimes I think about Adam, I was like, man, we should do that scene in, in, in um, Airplane. You ever see that comedy, Airplane, you know, the movie? Where they had the one scene where the person keeps panicking on the plane. <laughs> the person's panicking on the plane, and the person's trying to calm them down. Then finally the person slaps them. Then the next person comes up, slaps them. Then the next you know, you see people coming down the aisle of the plane with wrenches and bats, and they're all, you're going to calm down on this plane. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like we ought to do that to great, 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 great Great, 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 great granddaddy Adam. Amen. Because by that one man, all of us are under a spirit of disobedience outside of Christ. And that's the great thing, though. Through Christ, you know, one man, Adam, messed us all up and made us children of disobedience and of wrath. Whereas one other man, the second Adam, he's referred to, lived a sinless life and now has given us the power to overcome hell and the grave as well as the sin nature, amen? We no longer have to be subjected to the spirit of disobedience. And one of the other things that's important here, it says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Do you feel some area in your life that temptation or disobedience is pulling on you? Well, according to here, it says anywhere sin is present, God's grace is even more abundantly in place. So what does that mean? If you feel something pulling on you, you got a stronghold you're struggling in. you got something of the heart or mind or the flesh that's pulling on you. Don't sit there and say, oh, I don't have the power to overcome this sin. Instead, say, well, if the word says where sin is present, grace of God abounds even more, God, give me that grace. Infuse me with your grace. Saturate me from head to toe, in and out. Mind, body, and spirit, saturate me with your grace and give me the power to overcome this thing. See, if we yield to it, it's because we've allowed our flesh to take ownership over our three-part being. Amen? Or we've allowed our, our soulish man, our, our minds, our thoughts, our hurts to get in the way so that our flesh and our emotions and our will join forces to pull our poor spirit man along into the depths of the sin. But we gotta train ourselves through the word of God and by the Spirit of God to strengthen our soulish man to the point where now our spirit and our our thought life and our perceptions and our attitude align themselves with the word of God. So then the two of them pull the flesh along and say, uh-uh, we're not sinning today. Come along. And your flesh will go kicking and screaming, but hey, that's what you gotta do. That's what you gotta do. Make that flesh coming to obedience. Paul said, I beat my flesh of subjection daily. Amen? He knew. See, that's the thing. He was honest. And some people would be like, well, you're Paul, the Roman citizen and the apostle, you know, the founder of many churches. You can't struggle with sin. He said, man, I got one thing. I, and some people said they don't know if it was a sin or he had some people say he, they think he had horrible eyesight, but he went to the Lord three times said, take this away from me we don't know whether it was a physical ailment or whether it was a sin but regardless he he went to God and said take this away from me and God said you got to keep that thorn keep that flesh in in, in obedience and dependence upon me and then he talked about uh, you know oh foolish man that I am you know oh wretched man that I am who shall save me from this body of sin and death he said thanks be to God gives me the Holy Spirit to overcome this war that's raging in my members see the first thing to deliver yourself from disobedience is realizing that you are disobedient in the first place don't try to shuffle and jive and deceive and deny and sidestep call what it is I got an issue with disobedience in this area God I need you to strengthen me because I can't help myself you know (laughs) it's like Flint Wilson back in the day the devil made me do it well, it's the devil in your flesh made you do it. Your devil, your flesh, your attitude. You got to tell God, like, Lord, I need help to beat this flesh under subjection to, to your word and to your spirit. And, Lord, I don't have enough strength right now. Sometimes you got to tell them that. I just don't have enough strength. Lord, you don't help me. I am going to lose this one. And see, if we're honest with God, God goes more than the extra mile not just the extra mile he goes more than the extra mile and here's the thing it doesn't matter whether you need it once twice ten a thousand times just be real with God Lord I can't do this on my own quite frankly even if you've passed the test a number of times we really still can't do it without the Lord anyway because once you start to tr- trust God like oh like if I was talking about the being smart with people oh, I got that I ain't gonna never get smart with people again I don't have to pray about that. I don't have to study the word of God. I got that, Lord. I'm delivered. Man, that devil will send 20 people at me getting smart with me that I could spit something back at them. Or God be like, okay, you don't need me? All right. That layer of protection I put there? I'm going to let you see that (laughs) you're doing better, but you're not totally delivered without me. Amen? You still need to be dependent upon me in every area. Amen? Hallelujah. So wherever sin is present, the grace of God is more available to you to overcome its pull, grasp upon you, or the enticements and, and influences of the enemy. But you have to be willing and come in out of have a heart of obedience to say, God, I don't want to disobey. I want to obey you, but I need some help. It's like that Erica Campbell song, I need help. Amen? Hallelujah. Last one for today. 2 Corinthians 10. Three through six. <clears throat> For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting out imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled now there's a few things here we say it says we do not walk in the flesh no we walk in the flesh but we do not war after it see there's a difference we're in a couple worlds here <laughs> we're fleshly bodies you know we're limited by fleshly things we have fleshly urges and attitudes and like I said we have emotions we have wounds we have desires you know some are good some are ungodly that's just the way it is and it's never going to change Amen. As a matter of fact, you can say that certain things are gonna be with you to the day you die. You, you know how they knew David was about to die? Threw a virgin in his bed. <laughs> What's that show you? He they everybody around him knew he had a lust problem and he had a thing with the ladies. And when they threw that virgin in there, he didn't touch her, they're like, Oh, he's dying this time. <laughs> we better get the funeral pa- We gotta get the funeral parade ready. David didn't <laughs> touch that virgin? Oh, he's gonna die. But that shows you, everybody knew he had that issue. <laughs> and God said he had a perfect, he was a man that was perfect after his will. Amen? He had a heart after God, but yet he still had that problem. And that shows you, if they did that at his deathbed, That shows that even though he repented, he went through the whole situation with Bathsheba, years and years and years after that, situation with Solomon, Amnon, Absalom, all that different stuff, here we are in his deathbed, and yet they're still trying to appeal to that flesh. So that means he was never fully delivered of his problem of of sexual lust. Amen? He was never fully delivered. So we just see a couple examples in the Bible But we don't see the full story that there must have been years and years where he still had to fight against that. We don't know the number of times he failed and he had to repent. Amen. So um, same with us. There may be certain things. I'm not saying that to depress us. But we have to, as Shakespeare said, to our own selves be true. There might be things you overcome that you don't struggle with that don't entice you. You know, I told people, I said, you cannot entice me with an alcoholic beverage. You absolutely positively cannot entice me has no power over me whatsoever. I actually shocked my my friends years ago, my friend's boyfriend. Every time I just said, yo, man, have a beer, have a beer. (sighs) Year after year after year, yo, man, want a beer? (laughs) Finally, one day I said, I said, Derek, I said, I could take that beer right now and drink it and not be in sin. He's like, what do you mean? I said, because that's just liquid. I said, you keep trying to entice me, Christian guy, to sin and drink beer. I said, that means nothing to me. That's nothing but a liquid in a bottle. And I said, I'm not going to drink it. I said, but quite frankly, if I drank it, and believe me, I'm not telling Christians to go out and drink, and I don't drink, and we'll never drink. I'm basically like a Nazarene. I'm not going to drink. I don't drink wine. I don't drink anything. But I told him, I said, that's liquid. I said, you're trying to entice me to sin. I said, that's nothing but liquid, yellow liquid in a bottle. It means nothing to me. Now, like I said before, there might be other things that do have a pull on my flesh. Those are the things that I need to watch and monitor. And realize that I'm in my flesh, but my war is not against my flesh. And that doesn't matter whether it's my fleshly lust and desires and things that pull on me, or my interactions with people from a fleshly perspective. Even if they're coming at me arguing or lying or undermining, my war is not my flesh against their flesh. My war is against the spirits influencing them, or even if they just straight out got an attitude and it is their flesh, I just ain't got time to be engaged in them flesh to flesh. My war overall is, with the spirit, is, is in the spirit realm. And yes, that person may not change in some cases. In other cases, if I walk according to the spirit and the love of God, they will change. But I have to realize that the battlefield for me is not either in my flesh or against other people, my battle is in the heavenly realm against the principalities that cause these entanglements. And once I win there, I automatically have the manifestations of the winning in the lives of those people. And those people, some cases will change their attitude towards you and some they never will. But see, I might not change them. They might still try to talk trash and undermine. I can walk with peace and the love of God. So I'm insulated. You could talk on. i walk walking in the Spirit and the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Talk on. They talked about the prophets before me. They talked about the apostles and disciples before me. Talk on. See, my victory is not in showing them who's better or stronger or retaliating. My, my victory is in Christ and walking according to the Spirit and in obedience to his word. So to war out the flesh, that word war means to contend with carnal inclinations. To contend with carnal inclinations. We are not to walk according to our carnal desires or our carnal tendencies, in other words, but to walk according to the Spirit of God. The phrase casting down, we're talking about casting down imaginations. It means to violently demolish, cast down, or destroy. See, imaginations are those things, people say and do things, or there's certain desires that we want that are disobedient to God, and we start to imagine in our mind's eye, oh, if only I have this, or I attain this, or I pursue and get this, whoo, here's how wonderful and pleasurable my life will be. That's imaginations. When those imaginations are on the horizon, you can't sit there and, like, just let them percolate in your mind and Take the little tidbit that the enemy or your flesh gave you and grow it out from, you know, a paragraph to a full miniseries that's now been optioned for movies. No, don't sit there and play with that thing. When that magic issue comes in, God said, don't play with it. He said, and he says, don't throw it away. He says, violently and vehemently cast down and destroy that thing. Throw that thing out of your mind and stomp on it. Apply the blood of Jesus to it and destroy it. Disintegrate it. So it has no effect in your life whatsoever. Because the minute you start to play with it, <laughs> sometimes you play with things and you find you got played. I'll say that again. Sometimes you think you played with something and you find out you got played. Because the whole thing, time, it'll sit back playing possum. Oh, I just playing with that thing. I'm gonna keep picking at it. Next you know, bam. Ow. <laughs> you ever p- <laughs> I didn't do it, but I saw people picket dogs as kids. dogs behind the fence, <laughs> <clears throat> throw rocks at it, just toying with that dog, playing with it. Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, this one time, and they kept playing with this dog, playing with this dog. Every day he came back from school, walking by this fence, just keep taunting the dog and playing with him. I said, yeah, better leave that dog alone, he's pretty big. One time we get up there, the usual time and date, came up there, ready to taunt that dog. Oh, where are you at today? Oh, <laughs> he didn't jump that fence. He was waiting for them that day. A couple people got bit, too. So you toyed with him, he ended up toying with you. <laughs> Fortunately, they get mauled, but they got snapped on. <laughs> and I don't, I don't recall whether they mess with him again, but I'm telling you for at least the next week or so, like, we're going cross the other side of the street. We're going to look for a distance. Is that gate closed? <laughs> <laughs> make sure we have, the same thing with sin. Sometimes you toy with it and you get snapped on or bit. Or you toy with it and you find out that you were just peeking through the cage and thing you know, dang, how I get inside the cage? Amen? Hallelujah. And finally, um, it says to revenge all disobedience. It means to punish, vindicate your disobedience. That's why Paul says he beats, Paul's not friendly with his Fleshly issues and sins and temptations. He said, I beat my body unto subjection. Now I don't imagine he sat there with a billy club or a rod and literally hit himself. But he's basically saying, in the spirit, I ain't playing with my with the stuff I struggle with. He said, anytime I feel an inkling or an urge, he said, I beat that thing down into submission. No, you will not. Because you know Paul had attitude. <laughs> We saw how zealous he was before he got saved. He was writing letters and getting people, you know, martyred. And then you know, on the other side of the coin, he was preaching with that same fervency. so he was not one to hold his tongue. So when he knew he had certain stuff to do. He said, I can't be, you know, patty caking this thing and kid gloves. He's like, no, I had to beat this thing under submission until the urge to do what is wrong leaves me. Amen. And we have to have the same mindset. Hallelujah. All right, that's going to be it for today. We'll continue on with another principality next week. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all rise. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we give you the praise, honor, and glory for everything you're doing in our lives. And right now, Father, we give you the pr- Glory and honor, Father, for everything you're doing in our lives. In this time of season, Father, as we're studying principalities, Father, Hallelujah! if there's any that we've been struggling with, we praise you right now to pull down every stronghold by your word and by your spirit, Lord. Hallelujah! purge the thoughts and the desires out of our minds and our flesh, Lord. Give us the power, Father, as we will cry out to you and repent to you, Father, to overcome the devices of the enemy, the allure that it has on our flesh and even our fleshly desires, Lord, let us do as Paul did, which is to beat those things under subjection via the power of your word and your spirit. Father, let us be sensitive, Father, not walking around clueless, but let us put on the whole armor of God, and as these things and these desires, as the thoughts, as the influences, as the interactions with people cause these things to manifest, We just praise you right now that you would immediately put a check in our spirit and give us the power, Father, and authority through your word, hallelujah, to cast down every imagination, to walk, hallelujah, according to the quickening power of your spirit, and to walk in victory above the works and the forces of darkness. And we just thank you, Father, that as we would walk, in obedience, Father, in overcoming power over the principalities, Father, we will see the manifestation of your, your plan, your purpose, and your will for our lives manifested. We thank you also, Lord, that you give us the power to touch, hallelujah, and minister. In the lives of other people that may be struggling with similar things, that, hallelujah, their eyes will be open to salvation. That they would get deliverance, Father, in the areas that they struggle with. The strongholds in their lives and in their families as well, hallelujah, would be brought tumbling down. And we just give you the praise, honor, and glory, hallelujah, for these things, Lord. You make us fruitful as individuals, fruitful in our families, fruitful, hallelujah. In our academic studies, in our places of work, everywhere we go, Father, hallelujah! Let the character and love of Christ and anointing that breaks the yoke be evident in our lives on a daily basis. And we just give you the glory, honor, and praise, Father, for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah! Anybody needs prayer, feel free to um, come forward. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.